Welcome to Field Trials, a future farming webcast exploring innovations, issues, and perspectives in new farm technology. This is Matt, your Canadian farm kid and journalist host. Thanks for tuning in. Farmers have their pick when it comes to digital agronomy tools. They're pretty effective, there's lots of them, and they're getting better all the time. But perfection, of course, remains elusive. In this episode of Field Trials, we chat with precision ag expert and Kansas State professor Raj Kosla about how we can more effectively measure spatial differences in the field and make management calls without the guesswork. We also touch on what new measurement tools could look like, a brief history of GPS, and the relevance of doing more with less given our contemporary climate context and policy goals. I appreciate your time. Um, yeah, you're, you've been in, you're a veteran in this uh, in this space, a digital agriculture and precision agriculture space. I was reading through your bio. Uh, you've certainly got way more credential than me to be yapping about these things. So uh, I, I guess uh, just in, maybe you can just give a little bit of a background for anyone listening on on some of the, I guess, some of the key figures in, in what you've what you've been on, uh, done and what you've been up to. And uh, then we can start talking about digital tools. Right. Uh, so thank you, Matt, for extending this opportunity to speak with you. Um, I've been involved in precision agriculture since the inception uh, from early to mid 90s. Uh, the change happened when global positioning systems was made available for civilian applications. Mm. This was 1983. And by early 2000, the encryption on the GPS signal was taken away as well. So what military had access to, all of a sudden civilians had access to that too. And that was a game changer, uh, particularly for the proliferation of global uh, of precision agriculture. Because now all of a sudden, farmers could employ location-based agricultural practices. Why location-based agricultural practices? Because for decades, if not centuries, we have observed changes in our field and production and productivity as we go from one part of the field to another part of the field. And now working closely with uh, private partners, i.e. technology companies, they enabled the next generation of equipment that could apply variable rate inputs on the fly. And this is, uh, was really a big change from traditional one-size-fits-all philosophy to where we can match inputs based on the productivity potential of soil and vary it so that we can minimize input application, or I would rather say optimize input application mm. and maximize output. Yeah, well, particularly this past year, certainly been a lot of discussion given the uh, was $1,400 a ton uh, or whatever the prices are for fertilizers alone, uh, let alone other things. Yeah. Um, so uh, talking about GPS, we went at, after it was kind of widely available to civilians uh, uh, from the American, the uh, United States military. Uh, we then, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we initially, it wasn't like, we went from like a foot kind of difference variation to now we're at a point where it's very, very, very minute. Um, so with that level, with like being able to get down to that scale, something that uh, if, if, I'm probably going to butcher what you said uh, here. So I, I apologize for that, but something you've uh, said before was digital tools, since we have this amount of accuracy or we can achieve this amount of accuracy, we can get so much information that you some a lot of it you can't actually 
do much with, or it's like it's noise around. And so the phrase was rapid. We need to produce tools that provide rapid, reliable, and reproducible information. Um, I mean, that makes sense, but that's got to be a bit of a tall order. Um, where are we at in terms of, there's a lot of software out there right now, and there's a lot of different growers using a huge uh, variety of different uh, agronomic tools. I mean, I'm assuming they don't all do that. And why not? <laughs> I guess is, uh, okay. I, and, and this is coming from someone that's only the himself really use some really basic stuff. Um, and I have no programming background either. So I, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite ignorant as to the ins and outs of ins and outs of these things. I'll try to break it down and make it simple. So you're exactly right that once farmers started to use location-based agriculture or precision agriculture, what happened? They started collecting a lot of data, lots and lots and lots of data. And that's, that's where we are. How do we translate data into information that allow us to make decisions in near real time? But let's take a step back. One thing we all should appreciate and realize is that we can only manage what we can measure. Okay, so think about it. We have sprayers, we have planters that can variably apply seeds into the ground or variably apply fertilizer or that for that reason, a sprinkler irrigation system that can variably apply water or irrigation at the nozzle level. So if you're running a sprayer rig where the nozzles are three feet apart or less, and you're applying that at that granular level, you need information at the same granular level to be able to decide how much needs to be applied, where and when, right? And to enable that, we need to take measurements at spatial dependent densities. So let me elaborate on that. So if we were to take a measurement, let's say soil measurement at one point, okay? And we take another soil measurement, let's say two feet apart. What do you think is uh, the chances that the two locations are related in space? Chances are high, right? But if we go 20 feet away or 200 feet away, as we increase the distance from one location to another, we're reducing the chances that the two locations and hence the properties of those locations are related in space, okay? And so that's called the spatial distance at which the relationship between two points break off. Mm -hmm. So for us to be able to derive scientific information, what's happening between the two points, we need to take measurements at a shorter distance where the two points are related in space. Am I making sense to you? Yeah. So uh, the idea that you're, uh, you're going to go take a piece of information from over there and, and then 50 feet that way, like that's all well and good, but it doesn't tell you that much about what's happening uh, in between, right? In order to, in order to actually make use of your sprayer, that's got nozzles every two feet or three feet. You got to exactly measure it at right. three feet. Otherwise it's irrelevant. 
right? And I'm not proposing that you need to measure it at three feet. All I'm saying is that if you look at the very principle of geostatistics or spatial statistics, in order for us to translate point data that we acquire from soil um, into surface data, meaning we're able to now estimate from information from those locations where we have not acquired a soil samples, like in this case, we need to be sampling at spatial densities close enough that we can do that prediction. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. That means we'll need to go out and take a lot of sample information. And this is part of the reason why UAVs and remote sensing and satellite imagery has been so helpful in bridging that gap because they collect census data. So if you fly a UAV uh, on a field, you're not leaving any square inch of field without any data collection, correct? Mm. But that happens to be a surrogate measure. You're not diagnostically collecting information. You're saying if the reflectance that we're picking up from the UAV camera sensor may be correlated to this soil property, may be correlated to soil moisture, may be related to plant stress. And by the way, we're getting better and better and better every year in improving those uh, correlation and estimates. When you talk about we need rapid, reliable, reproducible, inex inexpensive ways to collect that information or the data, primary reason is that imagine you have a quarter section field, 160 acres. And if you need to go out and collect data points from 160 to 300 locations, so we're talking about at one acre density or half acre density, could you imagine how much it would be labor intensive, time consuming and cost prohibitive? And this is where what we need are inexpensive sensors that can take measurements reliably, reproducibly, rapidly and without having to you know break the bank meaning we can we can distribute these sensors in space so that they can provide that measure whether it's soil moisture or soil nitrate or plant health or humidity whatever that might be now that allows that piece of information then allow us to translate those data points that are coming at high spatial densities into surfaces so that we can estimate or some people prefer to call it predict, mm -hmm. information about the locations where we have not taken any soil sample. When we accumulate data at that spatial densities, allow us to do no guesswork. Now I can translate that into a prescription map so that I can actuate my decision at every nozzle level, either at the sprayer or at the sprinkler or whatever it is that you're trying to measure. So that, that kind of reminds me of, uh, and, and perhaps this is something that you've mentioned uh, in the past. I, I can't remember where I where I heard it, but uh, the idea of having um, sensors, even something like a, a, a like a tiny micro sensor that can be essentially planted along with the crop as you're going through, like that kind of thing. Is that what, is that what you what you're talking about? Right. So so mode of disposal of sensor. Uh, only time will tell how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, but you're exactly right. We're talking about tiny sensors. The micro is, is okay. Uh, and in many cases, battery-less sensors. 
they do not have any battery. They're sleeping all the time. You basically actuate them using radio waves that can penetrate through soil or through plant and wake them up. And then for a millisecond or even a smaller than a millisecond time, they perform the function that they are being placed for and then they go back to sleep. But the information is sent back through a wireless sensor network. So at any given instance, so imagine, you know, uh, the radar towers at our airport, they're omnidirectional, right? They're going in all the direction mm -hmm. and they're picking up signals where the airplanes are in three dimensions, right? So this would be a similar thing where you have omnidirectional uh, reader that pings the sensor, wakes them up, records its location, time, parameter of interest, and then it's done. And you can generate all those data points using a software to create a surface of your field saying, hey, you want to know instantly what is the soil moisture in the soil profile before I actuate an irrigation. You can do that. Are that's, we there yet? We're not there yet. So that's just, what I was going to ask. Exactly. I'm like, that's science fiction stuff. <laughs> but uh, but I guess, hey, I guess all this ag text really is science fiction at one time or another, right? But we're getting closer to that. You can do this today. In fact, we did this in 2012 at one of our research experimental fields where we had embedded uh, 41 access to moisture sensor access to down to five foot depth. Okay where we were measuring soil moisture in different times during the growing season. And 41 access tubes were placed in 10 acres. So this is mm -hmm. having one sensor node per quarter acre. I know it sounds like we overdid it, but we don't know what not to collect at this time mm -hmm. because there's so much spatial and temporal heterogeneity that's out there in mother nature, we want to capture that, okay? We want to measure that, account that so that we can translate that into our decision. Because we know how to grow. I mean, our farmers are getting very good every year. I mean, they have been very good, but they keep getting good, good and better every year. So we know how to grow uh, and we can produce a lot, but the challenge is how do we continue to produce more with less? Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly if you have read about the USDA Agricultural Innovation Agenda that came out of the Secretary's office, it calls for reduction in water application or water consumption in agriculture by 50% by year 2050. So we have 38 more crop cycles. Okay. Likewise, a reduction in nitrogen consumption by 50%. So how do we continue to produce more with less and less? And this is where digital agriculture or precision agriculture has a very large role to play, applying the right input at the right time, at the right place, in the right amount, and in the right manner. That's, uh, that I think, a really important way to contextualize this conversation, too. I know... Um... So I haven't read that specific uh, US, USDA or not USDA. I haven't read so much on the American example, but certainly up here in Canada, we have been having that conversation um, both at a provincial level and particularly federally 
um, with specific regard to uh, fertilizer, reducing fertilizer mm -hmm. use. It's been a very, very um, controversial, I'll say, um, position that the government mm -hmm. has taken on that. So yeah, it's that's really important to uh, to remember. Um, I guess with that, so we're as you say, we're not necessarily at the point where we're, we're able to collect we're at a point where we're still learning what we need to learn, but that, that be fair, fair to contextualize it that way. So <laughs> if we're still at that stage, I mean, what's, uh, what's the next step then? Uh, what's, uh, what's kind of the next step in, in terms of, and trying to get to what, what you described where we're able to get down to whatever level it is that we need and get the exact information that we need. What's, what's the get, what do we have to fill that gap in with? Right. So, uh, Going back to uh, the verbiage that you were using, Matt, that we need rapid, reliable, reproducible, uh, inexpensive sensors, absolutely. But not only any sensor, we need diagnostic sensors. So for example, you go to a physician and the physician measures your blood glucose. That's a diagnostic measure that gives you a quantitative measure of your blood glucose uh, in the body, and right? Likewise, Agriculture, if you look at last several decades, have been using surrogate measure, which is an indirect way of telling you, you know, how much soil moisture is in the soil or how much nitrogen is in your, in your plant or in the soil. We need, if we want to achieve our targets, where we want to continue to produce more with less, we'll have to make diagnostic measures, okay? Mm -hmm. Now doing it with labor, walking through the fields, that's, that's one approach, but that's time consuming, labor intensive and expensive. We can't do that. And this is why we need to work towards developing sensors. Now I'm not saying that's the only approach. That's one of the approaches that would take us there. And the good news is many, many, many laboratories and private partners today are working towards that. Either uh, coupling existing implements with these sensors, so when these implements are running across the field, they can gather more information, such as organic matter or electrical conductivity or optical properties of soil or counting the number of plants, planting geometry, plant height. All these sensors are getting infused into our equipment and implements to avoid another trip going through the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's where we are. We're slowly making progress. Um, yeah, avoiding uh, avoiding the fuel bill if nothing else, right? <laughs> right. Right on. Right. Well, and fuel uh, is getting more expensive. I don't know how it is in north north of here, but it's, it's bad. getting pretty expensive. Yeah, it's bad. I think I paid. I filled up my. I got a little Ford Ranger. Luckily, it's not that large of a vehicle, but I think I filled it up for two dollars ten cents a liter which is wow. pretty gnarly, I have to say, but maybe that's a conversation yeah. for another time. Uh, yes. Anyway, uh, thanks, Raj. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think we can uh, end it on, I think, a fairly positive note aside from the fuel and uh, let you go. Okay. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you, man. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you got something out of the conversation. As ever, the idea is to explore topics, items, and perspectives in the ag tech space. Uh, so if you're interested in sharing your own perspective and joining us for a conversation, feel free to get in touch with the Future Farming team at futurefarming.com. 
You can also reach me directly at Fur Rural on Twitter. That's at F-E-R-R-U-R-A-L on Twitter or via RuralPhilosopher.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.